Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Just really important. So welcome to tonight. Nice to see you all here. And uh, I don't know um, if you do know if you were here last week or not, but as a church we've been going through or we've begun to go through the book of Romans together, which is one of the books in our Bible, okay, in our New Testament. And we're taking time to, yeah, really just look into this um, book and get lots out of it, we hope. So tonight, though, I'm, we're going to just, I know we started last week, okay, but we're just going to take a step back before we go forward. Is that all right? You can cope with that, can't you? Okay, I've got this thing up there that says, all roads lead to Rome. <laughs> Who knows that saying? Who's heard that saying? Who knows what it actually means? Okay, well, uh, <laughs> I, I had to look this up, okay. Uh, it means that all the methods of doing something will achieve, will achieve the same result in the end. So, I often have been known in the past to say to Ivan, oh, gee, that exercise machine looks good on the TV. What do you think about that? And he says, Donna, they all work if you use them. So it's a little bit like that. All roads lead to Rome. That's what the saying can be used for. But literally, okay, um, in the Roman Empire, this was true. Um, when all of the roads radiated out from Rome, which, of course, was the centre of civilization, And, you know, you can still... And those r roads really did connect the world. And you can still, and this is one of my goals one day, go to Italy, and you can still walk along the Apian Way that Paul would have travelled on when he eventually went into Rome and walked into Rome. You can still walk on that road. That's how well they built the roads. <laughs> so that's just our title. But as you know, um, while we're walking through this book together tonight, I've said we're going to take a step back and set a platform, I'm hoping, for you to do your own personal reading of Romans and also for us as a church moving forward. Why do we love studying the Bible so much as Christians? You know, if I bet if I went round the room to anyone who's my age or even older, they would be more in love with reading the Bible now than when we actually became Christians. It is pretty amazing. But why? You know, the first textbook that I ever read gave me four reasons, and I've remembered them, and they're going to come up, actually. Uh, and these are the reasons. An historical reason. We read the New Testament or we read our Bible for a historical reason. We find in there the origins of Christianity, the phenomenon that is Christianity. And so... That's where it began. So we read it for a cultural reason because the impact that our New Testament has had on the Western society and almost global civilization. You might say it's not having that impact anymore, but certainly the foundations of our society was based upon our Bible. We read it for a theological reason. Ooh, what's that mean? <laughs> because we believe it, it consists of divinely inspired accounts of Jesus' life and mission into the world. And we can learn about God through 
the pages of our Bible. And the last one is a devotional reason. (laughs) The Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to bring people, us, to bring you into a living and growing personal relationship with God through Jesus. And because we, the, our Bible is the living word, it continues to speak to us. And that's why we continue to go to it. So that it becomes like, for us, like fresh bread in the morning or fresh bread or living water. Things that you can't live without. Okay, so in the, in the Greek, the word for word has two um, different meanings. Okay, the word um, logos, so we're going to have just a tiny little thing about logos and rima. Okay, the word was cre- world was created by the word of God. We know that from John 1 and Genesis 1. And lo- the logos of God. The world was created by the Logos of God. Logos is the general word of God from Genesis to Revelation that tells us all about God. And by reading that, we can learn, reading the Logos, we can learn all about God. We can have knowledge that we need about God and all the promises that he has for us. And you can receive knowledge and understanding by reading that. But something more is needed to receive faith. And so I don't have, sorry, I haven't got that verse up, but if you want to write this down, Romans 10 verse 17 shows us what is needed, okay, to, to build faith, that it's more than just reading God's word. It says, faith comes by hearing, many of you will know this verse, and hearing by the word of God. So in this scripture, the word is rima, not logos. Um, So faith comes by hearing the rima of God. How cool is that? And so I like to explain it this way. Logos is the said word of God and rima is the saying word of God. The Holy Spirit takes the logos and it might be just a few verses or a passage, okay, and he quickens that personally to us and that is Rima, a specific word to a specific person for a specific situation. This is not like digging through your Bible and trying to find a verse that will back up what you've already um, decided you want to do, okay? But this is us immersing ourselves in God's word and being led by the Holy Spirit. Rima is produced out of Logos. I love Myongi Cho's little picture that he has. He says that Logos is like the pool of Bethesda. Now, you might think, where is that? Well, I'm telling you, it's near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. (laughs) Okay. And that's where the story, you can read about it in John 5, where the pool that people who were disabled or needed healing used to go and actually lie around and... History actually does confirm that this is so, that from time to time an angel would stir the waters and if they got in there quick enough, they would be healed. So how his picture is, Rima, Logos is like the pool of Bethesda. 
okay? It's like we have this pool of the word of God, but it's when the Holy Spirit comes and quickens a scripture or a passage to your heart, burning it, you know, almost into your soul and letting you know that right then that applies directly to your life in your situation. He quickens, he's stirring the waters as you read it and that jumps out at you. This has happened to me more, many, many, many times. You know, the one that really comes to mind now is when I was reading in John 10 about the living water and I couldn't get past it and it was jumping up off the page. I've read those passages many, many, many times but right there in that moment, God was speaking to me about the Holy Spirit, about there was more for me and to go on a journey of learning about baptism of the Holy Spirit became life to me. So that's Rima. So that's another reason why we read our Bible. We want our pool to be big. <laughs> we want, you know, the pool from which God can draw that Rima, you know, Rima word for us to be big, don't we? Amen? And so understanding all of that, how do we approach reading our Bible? Well, we make it real. Now, why do I say that? That means we bring it to life, okay, by going back <laughs> into the past, digging around, finding it, looking for clues, researching a little bit of history, building some context. And then we also make it relevant, okay? We don't stop there. We then make it relevant by bringing it into the present, so we make it real by going back and looking what it really meant back then and then we make it relevant by bringing it into the present. We're looking for similar situations today where God can, we can transfer those truths into our lives. We look for what is cultural and maybe still just belongs in the first century alone but we're also looking for what transcends culture Okay, and God's word to us in every season and in all of our life. So let's begin with Romans, a quick overview. Now, any study Bible will give you this information. Okay, so we're just quickly looking at this. Um, what have I got up there? Uh, next one, I think I'm saying, no, next one. Making it real. Okay, looking at it. We're looking at what type of, what are we reading? We're reading a letter. You know, the Greek word is epistle. It just means a type of communication between one person and another. And so it's the longest letter in the New Testament. So this is going to take us a while to get through Romans. And one of the longest letters from the ancient world. How cool is that? So it's great just to read it through. It might take you a couple of sittings because there is 16 chapters or so. So, you know, it might take you... But just read it through without taking too much time to look at detail, just to get the feel of it. And, and then you can start... Um, just got to make sure. Yeah, that's right. Um, because it was written so long ago a letter written back in the first century. It's important for us to find out a bit more, isn't it? Like, letters are always written for a purpose. And that helps to translate meaning and to put things in context. So you'll see that 
when you're reading your book of, of um, Romans, there's an introduction, there's a prayer, then there's the bulk of the letter, and then there's greetings at the end. Um, and actually, the longest list of greetings <laughs> than any other book. And that's actually quite an interesting point because there's reasons for that. And we're going to touch on them a little bit later. The first part, I'm going to give you my Donna Paulin, very simple breakup of the book. Okay, because like I said, any good study Bible will give you a great breakup of themes. But I'm going to give you my simple one. The first part, now we might even go right up to chapter 11 here, is doctrinal. It's talking about Christian doctrine. Okay, and the second part is practical. <laughs> so the first part is about what we believe, and the second part is about how that belief affects how we behave. How cool is that? Because for the Apostle Paul, theology always affects life. It doesn't just stay in our head as knowledge. It's worked out. Right believing leads to right living. Um, it's a slower way to grow, actually. You know, if you became a Christian, you said, oh, what, what do Christians look like? What do they do? And you've got a big list of things, all right? They don't, usually it's got a lot of don'ts on it. They don't do this, they don't do that. And then they, oh, maybe that you've got to carry this around. And you, and you might think, well, I look like a really good Christian. But you all know that that can be a very big facade, can't it? <laughs> what we want is... A transformational growth. What you want is to know why you're doing such things. We can behave, you know, we can be trying hard to behave, um, but it's useless, really, trying hard. It won't produce anything transformational on the inside. Unless you really believe why you're doing it. That's why I love the structure, structure of Paul's book. And it brings us to what he says in Romans 12. That don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So that backs us, backs that up again. And so that's another reason why we study the word so that we can renew our mind. Our salvation firstly has to do a work on the inside. And then it begins to work itself out on the outside. If we get this wrong, we go the other way, we can get in trouble. We can become quite legalistic or even miserable in our Christian walk because our Christianity seems to be defined by all the things we can't do. We lose our joy and our freedom that comes in Christ. Um, and so, all right, so the, that's my structure. <laughs> okay, quickly. The Apostle Paul, we know he's the author of this book. He, he, he admits that. Um, we can re read about his dramatic conversion, and many of you have already done that in Acts 9, where he became, was a passionate persecutor of the church and then became a passionate advocator you know, of the church. Um, his authority in Christian doctrine is unquestioned. 
uh, and unchallenged, writing most of our New Testament letters. Um, yes, yeah, someone who was so passionate for the law, just like we were just talking about, someone who's actually lived that and breathed that experience of being so passionate for the law, um, t- was actually just, you know, turned completely around and became passionate for the grace of God. Paul had established a, a church in every major city in the East. He said, I've completed the work that God has given me to do. And here he is longing to go to Rome. He'd been stopped a few times from going to Rome. Why wouldn't he want to go there? The capital, really, of the world. He was very strategic in the places he planted churches because they were always in, in major cities that could, where they could expand out from there. And, of course, he wanted to have a harvest in Rome too. He speaks in the book, and you glean all this from the pages. He wants to go to Spain. So he's got a bigger vision Maybe Rome's just the stopover to Spain or a base like Antioch was for him for the churches in the east. He could create a base there. And so his vision just never never really stops, does it? Um, okay, and we know from reading the letter there's a great girl who's going to deliver this letter to Rome. <laughs> and her name's Phoebe in chapter 16. And I love what it says about her. It actually says Phoebe is, that she's a servant, but the word for servant for her is diakonos, which can also be translated minister or deacon. And it's just great for us to know that there were girls um, back then in the first century doing very important work and actually charged with, you know, you wouldn't want to lose a letter that was going to be, you know, part of the Bible, would you? Well, you didn't, she didn't know that then and they didn't know that then, but she was a very trusted servant or minister. Um, and so that locates Paul in Corinth, writing this, waiting for a ship to Corinth. So imagine us waiting in an airport long enough to write a whole book. <laughs> we don't wait much, do we, anymore? But he was waiting for a ship to Jerusalem and he was able to write the book of Romans. Okay, to all in Rome. So let's have a little look at Rome. Rome had come to power uh, and dominated the world stage. We know that, taking Palestine and all the parts of the New Testament that um, impact our New Testament in 63 BC. Uh, it remained the ruling power during the, f- the whole time of our, our New Testament. And after a time of expansion, of conquering, came what we know as the Peace of Rome or the Pax Romana. The peace of Rome. And with that peace came prosperity. Um, With prosperity, though, came high taxes and servitude to Rome. The gap between the rich and the poor was widening. With all the, the, the advances that they had, moral decay and permissiveness were rife. People became quite selfish And more than one history book tells of unwanted children roaming the streets and babies being thrown out in the trash. Many of those little baby girls picked up and grown up for prostitution. Taking too long. So what was happening in the church internally? 
That's what was happening on the outside in the Roman world, what was happening internally for the church. Well, the church, Paul had never been to Rome. So how did the church start? It's recorded in the day of Pentecost that um, people from all over the world came and Rome is mentioned. So it, it started with Jewish people who'd come to the day of Pentecost, got saved and baptised in the Holy Spirit. They started the church in Rome. Then, um, and it grew out from there. So it was a growing church. Then came Emperor Claudius. He was anti-Jewish. He actually expelled the Jews from Rome in AD 41. So there was a ghetto of Jewish population thought to be about 40,000 Jews. And that's no doubt where the church had started. They'd all been expelled from Rome. And so the church then was left with the Gentiles, those Gentile Christians who'd been saved. And then... In AD 53, guess what? The Jews were allowed back into Rome. They're actually pretty good for business and trade, so they probably were very missed, and they were back, allowed back into Rome. And so they, when they came back, the, Jews were, the Gentiles were now in charge of the church, and the church had grown again. So they were trying to fit back in. How do you fit back in? So this gives us a real sense of what the church was going through and why Paul refers so much to Jews and Gentiles in this book because of these two groups. And I want you, when you read it, circle every time he mentions that because it gives us a great clue um, as to why he devotes three chapters right in the middle of his book to speak specifically into these two groups of people and the place they hold in God's kingdom. Jews were prone, they were very different, were prone to go to legalism. Gentiles were prone to go into license. And Paul is trying to bring these two groups back together into one fellowship, both of them to live in the spirit. He says in chapter 15, verse 5, May the God who gives us endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're out of time. I do want to just go into the first verse of the book which says first two words or three words Paul oh, a servant of Christ Jesus Paul's describing himself here as a servant this is a pretty confronting to a hierarchical society where the gap between rich and poor like I said was growing there was a status in Rome. Citizenship and moving up the ladder was the goal. It was about who you knew um, and who could possibly speak up for you so that you could be sponsored to move up that ladder. Networking on steroids. 
is really what Rome was like back then. Citizenship was a prized possession and you could pay a very, very high price for that. It was actually Paul's revelation that he was a Roman citizen that stopped him being killed in Jerusalem and transported to Rome. Okay, so you can see how that was an affront to the Roman culture. You know, slaves outnumbered free people, they believe, in Rome. And slaves were the bottom of the bottom of the ladder. And Paul boldly says, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. This is confronting. But there's a little um, explanation of servant is not just slave in the Bible. The same word for servant is in the Hebrew is abed. And if you read about the Jewish form of having servants, it's a lot different. And in fact, a slave, a person could only be a servant for six years and then they were set free in the seventh year. But there's a little um, clause, I suppose, in there where they said, if you actually love being with the family that you're in, because they were often treated not like slaves, in the, like in the Roman culture, but as children, honestly, as part of the family. And some of them would be desperately not wanting to leave. And then if they wanted to stay, they'd go to the judge in the, in the town square and they would have their ear pierced with an with a, you know, like an ice pick, an awl, like an awl, and against the doorpost. And that means that they would be a servant for life. And I believe that's what Paul's referring to here when he says, I, Paul, a servant, not by force, but by choice of Jesus Christ. Jesus modelled servanthood to us. And even so, here we are in the second word of this book having a little challenge you know how do we see ourselves do we see ourselves as a servant maybe sometimes we feel like a slave and it's a big difference you know am I a slave or a servant you know Jesus said if you love me keep my commands love comes as whatever we do in our Christian walk comes out of our love for Christ. It's not a have to, it's a want to. It's a pierce my ear. Before ear piercing became to mean lots of other things. What a wonderful thing that that's what it actually meant. And Jesus modelled this. Can you see why I love the verse that Jesus said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. For the Jew, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And so there's a reason why Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Because of many of these things that we've talked about. The fact that he was calling himself a servant. But don't you want to climb up the ladder? Is Christianity about servanthood where everyone, 
and it's, a, it's free to all. It's free to everybody. That's an affront to you if you're an upper-class citizen in Rome. It's great news if you're poor. And it's great news to the poor all over the world. It's something you don't have to earn with money or power, but you receive as a free gift from God. And not only that, but the, the hero of the Christian faith is someone who died on a cross. And in the first century, when crucifixion first came about, the only people who died on crosses were slaves, but slaves who had become criminals, charged as criminals. And so you can also see that having the hero of the Christian faith as someone who actually died on a cross would be also an affront to the powers of Rome. But Paul is unrelenting. He's resolute. No, he's not uh, relying on his Roman citizenship, but he's relying on his heavenly citizenship. And so I just want to think about that verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And I guess I just want to ask the question tonight, you know, do you believe? Do you believe in the gospel? What is it, you might say? It's the good news about Jesus Christ. That yes, he went to the cross, but he went to the cross to pay the price for all of us so that we could become children of God. Not climb a ladder in a social society, but find significance, you know, in a kingdom where there's no levels. Only God is great. You know, it also says in Romans that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For it's with our heart that we believe and are justified and it's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. So if you're here tonight and you actually do feel like God has been knocking on the door. The Holy Spirit's been stirring the waters in your life. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. This gospel that the Apostle Paul was so passionate about getting it out into the world setting. So let's just close our eyes. And I just wonder if there's anyone here who'd like to take that step I'm just going to pray a prayer and just like that verse said if you agree with me in your heart you know you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead he's real this is true for you tonight and then you'll express that with a prayer and let's do that now oh Lord Jesus thank you so much for coming and laying down your life for me. Thank you that you paid the price I could never pay for my sin. And I thank you that for the forgiveness you give me and the citizenship I now receive as a citizen of heaven, as your son and your daughter. I give my life to you now and make you Lord of my life. Amen.
You know, if you prayed that prayer tonight, I'd love you to come and see me. I'd love to give you a Bible and help you begin to have a real and life-changing relationship with Jesus. Um, I'd love to pray for you. So just the beginning. Was that okay, guys? That's just the beginning. But now we have a real good um, angle on how, you know, when we're reading the Bible, things, I hope, are going to jump out. out at you. Thanks. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.